Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. We're going to finish up our verse-by-verse study of the book of James tonight, and we'll start on the book of Jude next week. So this is part nine of our series we call The Brothers. We call it The Brothers because James and Jude were the younger brothers of Jesus. So we're going to pick up with James chapter 5, verse 9 tonight. So as we pick up verse 9, remember in chapter 4 and chapter 3, James has dealt with strife and what to do concerning it and the wisdom of God you live by. And so verse 9 is the last time he mentions things relating to strife. He says, grudge not one against another or don't complain about each other, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. So it's complaining about each other gets you in position to receive judgment. Because what is complaining about each other? Because what happens is you're not complaining about that person to them. You're complaining about someone else to someone else. So it's like gossip. So it's another form where strife can get in. And what did he already say about strife earlier in the book? Where strife is there's going to be confusion and every evil work. So says, stop complaining about each other. Stop talking about each other. Walk in the wisdom that comes from above. Then he takes a different direction. But remember, in context, we remember chapter 1. He's writing to a people who are facing persecution and affliction. So remember, he's writing to a people who are undergoing a trial. So he says, take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Remember, we said the word affliction is pressure brought by circumstances. Affliction is pressure brought by circumstances. Persecution is pressure brought by people. Now, persecution can be in many levels. It can be the extreme cases where they are killing believers. That is one of the highest levels of persecutions, killing and torturing believers. But persecution can be very low level of people not liking you and talking about you because you stand for Jesus. So persecution is simply pressure brought by people. Affliction is pressure brought by circumstance. We define patience as cheerful endurance. Cheerful endurance. So take my brother the prophets who have spoken the name of the Lord for an example of undergoing pressure brought by your circumstance. And as an example of cheerful endurance. Notice it's not just endurance. It's cheerful endurance. Remember the joy of the Lord is your strength. So pay attention to what I'm about to say. If you lose your joy, your strength is next, followed by your patience. If you lose your joy, your strength is next followed by your patience. So in this thing called life, it's how long can you hang? So when people at the gym do an isometric chin-up, what it is they do the chin-up and they hold for as long as they can. And that shows you how strong they are and all the different things. But what happens is if you're in that chin-up and your muscles begin to get weak, 
and you begin to lose your grip, you're not going to stay that long. In the same way in life, when you begin to lose your joy, your spiritual muscles are going to get tired next. And you're going to lose hold of what you're believing for. Your faith will only go as far as your patience. Your faith will only go as far as your patience. Hebrews 6.12 says, faith and patience inherits the promise. Not just faith, faith and patience. Now, one of the things, you know, yes, Bishop Butler is my uncle. He's my pastor, but he's also my mentor. And some of the greatest lessons I learned from him weren't from when he was preaching in the pulpit. It's just traveling with them, having dinner with them, and he'll just say stuff. And so one of the things my wife likes to say is one of the greatest scriptures that she ever heard Bishop keep telling her is faith and patience inherit the promise. Like every time we're together, he said it. Faith and patience inherits the promise. He'll say other things to me. He said, if you stick with it, years ago, he said, if you stick with it, there's good things coming down the pipe. But you have to stick with it. You have to be patient. You have to cheerfully endure. Because if your joy goes, your strength is next, followed by your patience. And after that, your faith won't work. And you wonder, well, this faith stuff doesn't work. No, faith does work, but you lost your joy. So you became impatient, and you stopped believing. So you hung for five seconds, but you really needed to do that chin up for 60. So how long can you hang? Go to Matthew 5.10. Notice what Jesus said similarly to this. You'll see a lot of parallels in James' writing to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5.10. We looked at verse 9 last week concerning peacemakers. But notice what said in verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, not persecuted because you're a jerk, but persecuted because you did the right thing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, key word, falsely, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So what did Jesus say to do in the midst of persecution, which is pressure brought by people? Rejoice. Be exceeding glad. So don't be depressed. Don't lose your joy. Stir up that joy and rejoice because you're getting a great reward in heaven. James already talked about the reward in his writing. He talked about that crown of life. So in pressure, Filled circumstances, you cannot afford to lose your joy. Because if you go too long without joy, your strength will fade and then your patience will be next. And you will not get what you're believing for. So how long can you hang? Go to Hebrews 11, verse 32. Look at the prophets just a little bit more. To take them for an example of undergoing pressure brought by circumstance and take them for an example of their cheerful endurance. 
Because we forget as we read the Bible, we're reading about real people who had real life situations, real emotions, real struggles, and real successes. Hebrews 11, start with verse 32. So as the writer finishes talking about this great hall of faith, he says, what shall, and what shall I more say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, Wax valiant and fight, turn to flight the armies of the aliens. Women receive their dead, raised to life again. But then it tells you some other things they went through and the times when you don't see these victories they just wrote about. Because these were the same guys. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. What does it mean? They're not going to quit. So they kept undergoing what they were undergoing because they weren't going to back up what they believed and what they said that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. They whipped them. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were cut in half, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Why weren't these situations? They pushed them out of the city. Notice what the writer says in parentheses, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and the caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report, a good story, a good reputation through faith. So although they went through all these things, at the end of the day, they won. Because it says here next, receive not the promise. I like another translation that they did not receive everything that God had. Why? God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. So they received everything they could under an old covenant. But the new covenant is greater. One of the themes of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better than. So the whole book talks about Jesus better than Moses, he's better than angels, he's better than the old system, he's better than everybody in Hebrews 11. That's the theme of the book. Jesus is so much better than. And so although these great people had faith, these great people had endurance, they couldn't get everything because Jesus, who was so much better than, hadn't arrived yet. So then the next chapter says, wherefore seen We also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are those witnesses? Everybody we read about in chapter 11. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin. So there's some things in your life you have to put aside that are not necessarily sin, but they're slowing you down. Which just so easily beset us. Every person has some type of sin or temptation that seems to try to get the best of them more than others. But it says put them both aside. And let us run with patience. Run with cheerful endurance. When you run, you only can go as far as your endurance. So, if you can run, if you can sprint 100 meters, and that's all, you're done very soon. Some people have built an endurance, they can run a mile. 
Some can run a 5K, some a 10K, some a half marathon, some a full marathon. It's all based on their endurance. This Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. You can only go as far as your cheerful endurance will take you. And once you lose your joy, you'll lose your strength, and your patience will be next. Run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, that word means developer of our faith. Your faith must be developed. Your faith should grow from where you first received faith. That means you have to continually be in the Word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But in order for Jesus to develop your faith, you have to spend time with Him. You have to take Jesus as the author, finisher, and developer of your faith. Because one of the things I say is, I take Jesus, the author, developer, and finisher of my faith, and my faith groweth exceedingly. Because that's a scripture from Thessalonians. That's part of my confession every day. Right after I confess, finish confessing the love scriptures, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I love my neighbor as I love myself. I love my neighbor as Jesus loves me. So I go through a list. I list my family members. I love them as Jesus loves me. I said, I love my church as Jesus loves me. I love my friends as Jesus loves me. I love the brethren as Jesus loves me. I go through this list because I'm saying, I don't want to just be a recipient of the love of God. I choose today to be a conduit of the love of God. And this love is perfected in me because it's shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost who is the spirit of love. And it saturates every cell of my being so people can sense the love of God just by being in my presence. This love grows in me to the point it evicts and casts out all fear. For fear has no place in me for fear has torment. And this love fuels my faith and my faith grows exceedingly because I've taken Jesus to be author, developer, and finisher of my faith. What I'm telling my faith to grow. Because your faith is only as efficient as your love walk and your belief in how much God loves you. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Notice once again, patience is connected with joy. How did Jesus get through the brutal scourging and the torture he undergoed, he went under the cross? Joy. Who was that joy? You. Despising or thinking little of the shame. It was a shameful death to be hung on the cross, but he thought little of the shame because of the joy. So you can go through persecution and affliction, and it seems like it's bringing shame of, into your life, but you can think little of the shame if you look at the joy. And it's set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. So he says, no matter what you're facing, it doesn't compare to what Jesus went through. So look at Jesus and look at joy. Go back to James. James 5.11. Because if you can get anywhere in this Christian life, you got to have some endurance. And you got to have joy. Think about the letter in Philippians. How many times Paul said joy or rejoice? And the thing is, you must say, well, Paul must have been a really good place in his life to write a letter like that. No, he was in a prison that was underground, that some scholars said it was a sewer and a prison. 
so the waist of the sword can get up to your waist. And that when people are in this prison and they die, they just kind of fell from their chains and joined the waist. And rats hop from body to body. That's not what I call being in a good place in your life. That's not even what I say, having your life together. Yet he's writing to the church in Philippi, yes, I know you're going through something, but rejoice. See, Paul lived that life. He was in Philippi. They lied on him. They beat him, threw him and Silas into jail, and they began to sing praises unto God. Not what was me songs. Not some of the songs you hear on Christian radio. But actually seeing the book so loud that the prisoners heard them. And they prayed. So you know these are faithful prayers. And then the earth shook. So he's telling them what he lived. Yeah, you may be going through something, but rejoice anyhow. And again, I say rejoice. Verse 11, behold, we count them happy which endure. If you're going to endure, you got to make a choice to be happy. Faith has a look. Not a fake look, but faith has a look. Because you can be honest and say, hey, this thing is really trying me, but I choose to be happy. I choose to rejoice. I choose to have joy. So so notice, we count them happy, those who endure. I like what the message version says it this way. It says, take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything and went through everything and never once quit. All the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You say, well, I don't see what I'm looking for yet. Got a little bit longer to go. You may just be at five seconds on that chin-up. You could be at 30 seconds on that chin-up. You could be only at, you could be at 55 seconds on the chin-up, but you still haven't hit that minute mark yet. What a gift life is to those who persevere, who endure to hang on. How long can you hang? You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The message version says, you've heard, of course, of course, of Job's staying power. And you know how God brought it all together for him at the end. That's because God cares. Cares right down to the last detail. So let's look at Job. Go to Job 1. How long can you hang? Because the thing is, if you always try to live your life as an island, you could be about to let go and no one be around you to encourage you. So what's going to help you endure is have people of faith around you who will encourage you to stay the course. You have to have crazy faith people around you. Friends who are crazy enough to take you from your home, carry you to where Jesus is, create a hole in the roof, and drop you down. You need people who are crazy enough to believe God. You don't need people who, when you call to vent to them, say, oh, poor baby, I, I understand. You need people who are going to say, yep, you've let it out. Now, how are you going to respond in faith? What are you going to do? 
You need people who are going to help you endure, not give ease to your flesh and have a pity party. Job 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect or mature and upright, and one that feared, reverenced God, and eschewed evil. And so it talks about how he had 10 kids. And it talks about all the possessions he had. He was the greatest, the richest man in all of the East. So you may think so-and-so has a lot of money. It says he was the richest. He was the greatest. And he served God. His kids were so loaded. They threw a feast, a party every night for their siblings. They all had their own separate nice houses. And so what they did every night is whoever was next picked who was going to host the next party. So they lived in such abundance, they just picked, okay, we're going to so-and-so's house tonight. We're going to so-and-so's house tomorrow. They partied all the time. It, didn't, it never said they did anything wrong. It never said that they shouldn't party all the time. It never said they shouldn't enjoy the abundance that God gave them through their father. There's no thing written wrong about Job's kids that I've ever seen. Verse 5, and it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. There's nothing wrong with that. Rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. There's nothing wrong with that. Here's the issue. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Notice something. He says, maybe, so it's not sure. It's one thing if they did it and he knew it and he acted in faith. So we're going to take care of this thing right here. But this is fear. He wakes up every morning in fear. And the first thing he does is out of fear, saying, last night while I was sleeping, my sons may have cursed God in their hearts. So out of fear... I'm going to offer a sacrifice. Now, it was right to offer a sacrifice, but anything that's not of faith is sin. So Job gets into fear. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. This is under the old covenant, before the new covenant. It can't happen anymore. But, and the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, well, You know, here, there, everywhere. Walking everywhere. You kicked me out, so i got to get some exercise. And the Lord said unto Satan, have you considered my servant Job? What's wrong with you? That there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, and one that fears God and excuse evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does he fear you for nothing? You made a hedge of protection about him, about his house, about everything he has, and you blessed everything this dude got. And everything he has increases. Why is he talking about that there's a hedge about him? The only way he will know is because he was walking the earth trying to figure out how to get Job. But he couldn't get in. The blessing became a wall. So Satan is complaining, I can't touch the dude. So this isn't God, you do it. See if he really loves you. You take away everything. But notice verse 12 is very interesting. You have to read what the text actually says and not read it through the eyes of religion. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, in your hands. Only upon himself 
Put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Wait a minute. This verse did not say God gave it to him. It just says, look, what he has is in your hand. So it went from Job being surrounded by a wall. So now everything he had is in Satan's hand. How did it get there? Fear. Fear has torment, 1 John 4, 18 says. Fear opens the door to the enemy. Fear took Job from a secure position and put everything he had into Satan's hand. And if he continued on this way, Job would have died too. But God said, you can't touch him. So there's a lot of things happen in people's lives because they initiated the chain of events. There are some things that happen to people because they did it. And some things happen to people because of the attack of the enemy. But the attack never went as far as it should because the mercy of God stepped in and said, uh-uh. Yep, they initiated it, but you can't go any further. It's the mercy of God. And so we know the story of Job. Verse 325, he says, I feared a fear, and what I feared came upon me. So everything he was afraid of happened. Fear is faith in the enemy's ability to harm you. And it's also faith in saying that God can't do it, what he said he can do. So we know what happens. Disaster, tragedy happens. All his kids die. And as to tell him that report, he also learns out that everything he has, all his money, all his animals, stolen, burned up, gone. Worse comes to worse, his health leaves and he has boils break out on his body. This is a man who has literally lost everything. You think, well, at least he has his wife. His wife turns to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? He says, why don't you just die? He has lost everything. So he is sitting in a dust heap, taking shards of pottery and scratching at his boils. This is a person who has hit rock bottom. His friends come to visit him. His four friends come to visit him. And no one says anything for days. Because, you know, what do you really say in a situation like this? Then the next 40 chapters, you have these three guys and Job talking. Three of the guys are convinced, Job, you must have committed some great sin. You must have cursed God. You must have did all these things. So just repent of whatever you did to God, and I'm sure it'll be fixed. They're going back and forth. Job maintains his integrity. Goes back and forth, back and forth. And the youngest one just is quiet for the whole long, long, long conversation. And then he says something at the end, because after he finished talking, God talks. And he says, you know, I didn't say anything because wisdom was supposed to come with age. But apparently, it didn't happen with you three. And then he begins to say the truth. Then after he's done, God shows up in a whirlwind. I says, Job, come here. You got something to say? Tell it to me like a man. Look. I never want to have a conversation with a guy like that. That he shows up in a whirlwind and says, man up, boy. Whew. So God talks to Job for a couple chapters. And Job says, yep, I was stupid. I said stuff with no knowledge. And then God gets on to Job's three friends. The fourth one is never addressed because he didn't do anything wrong. 
But you get to chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. What is so important about praying for his friends? This is an act of faith. What happened? He got out of fear and got back into faith. It's almost like Jacob talking to Pharaoh. Jacob walked into Pharaoh's courtroom, and he says, how old are you? That's usually not a compliment. The first thing someone says to you is, you just look old. I really want to know how long have you been on this earth. That's usually not a compliment. Now, how's that different? Think about Jacob's grandma and mother. They went into cities, and kings were like, ooh, who's he? And they were 60 and 70 and 80. They aged well. Jacob didn't. Now, why? He said, I am 130. And my years are few. I have not reached the years of my fathers. Now, a lot of us are, man, 130 is pretty good. Of course you look old at 130. But Abraham lived 175. He had more kids in his hundreds. When he got remarried, he had more kids, six more. Isaac lived to be 180, five more years than Abraham. Jacob should have lived longer, yet he lived so much shorter. And why? He left faith. How do you know he left faith? When the brothers brought a report, they just took Joseph's coat, cut it up, put some blood on it, and says, is not this coat of your son? Then he said, some ravenous animal must have killed him. And I'm going to go to my grave in sorrow. The boys never said Joseph's dead. They let their father assume and he got into fear. He could have said, let's ask God about this. He did not turn and inquire of the Lord. He left faith. He lived by fear. Because you see, Abraham and Isaac in times of famine, they prospered. But a famine hits the land, and Jacob and the 11 kids, because Joseph is gone and we don't know where Dinah is, are living without but Joseph is prospering. So yeah, he lived a long time, but life was hard because he left faith. When Job gets back in faith, because God turns the captivity of Job, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So if he was the richest man in the East before, now he's got two times what he had then. And then he has more kids. And then all of his family all of those who knew him before who couldn't be around when trouble hit, after God turned it, they all came to Job and gave him money. Now, he's already the double of the richest man. Now all these people are bringing him things. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, 
and he has 10 more kids. And he lives 140 years and saw his sons, his son's sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. This is God caring about to the last detail, as James said. That because Job got back into faith and he didn't quit, yes, he had his mistakes, but he did not quit. He did not give up. He did not blame God. Yes, he said some things he shouldn't have said, but he did not quit. He still had patience. He still had endurance. And as soon as he got back into faith, God brought restoration. If you stay the course, if you stay in faith, if you stay with faith, you will see restoration too no matter how long it takes. If God has to add another 40 years to your life for you to get it, he will do it. He did it with Joshua and Caleb. What God had for them was delayed because a nation was disobedient. But when they got to the promised land, they're 80 and 85, and they said, we still feel like we're in our 40s. And they took, Joshua led the nation, and Caleb took a mountain. He says, give me this mountain. This is what Moses said I could have, and this is the mountain that made people afraid. I want that mountain. If you stay in faith, you will get everything you want. But if you lose your joy, you lose your strength, and then your patience will be next. Go back to James. Actually, go to Ephesians 5 before we go back to James. So how do we maintain our joy if it's so important? Well, remember, you have joy because Galatians 5.22 says joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of your recreated, born-again spirit. So it doesn't matter how sad you feel, you have joy on the inside of you. You stir it up by making a decision to be joyful, by making a decision to enjoy life, a decision to be happy no matter what you're faced with. You have to make a quality decision. Why do I say quality decision? One quality decision is backed up by many decisions. So once you make a decision, I'm going to be joyful, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to cheerfully endure every second of the day. you got to back up with what you said at the beginning of the day. So every time you feel sad, every time you feel like getting depressed, like, no, I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to cheerfully endure, and I will get what God promised me. Ephesians 5.18. And be not drunk with wine wearing its excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So you must take time to pray in the Spirit and to commune with the Spirit and to turn to Jesus throughout the day like we talked about on Sunday so that you can stay filled. He compares it to being drunk with wine. The only way you can cheerfully endure is to drink. God never meant for you to live this life sober. God never meant for you to live this life sober. You got to take a drink. Now, I'm not talking about going, Pastor just gave us permission. And as soon as I leave this building, I'm about to get lit. No. Drink from the Holy Ghost. 
not your Bacardi or your Jack Daniels. Be filled with the Spirit. Every time you feel start to get down, take a drink. Make a decision to rejoice. Say, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Is it speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs? Turn to a psalm that is full of joy and say it. What is David saying? Bless the Lord, all my soul. He is telling his soul to bless God. If he has to tell his soul to bless God, his soul does not feel like blessing God. So you have to tell your mind, your will, and your emotions, we will bless God right now. We won't be sad right now. We're going to bless God. We're going to rejoice. We will be joyful. I'm not having a bad day. I'm not having a sad day. I'm not having a depressed day. I'm not having a mad day. I'm having a joyful day. I choose to be happy. Ha, ha, ha. That's how you take a drink. That's how you begin to sip from the Spirit. You can't drink with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth and say something. You have to believe God, and then faith, faith acts on it before it feels it. So that means I'm going to smile. You may feel like crying. You may feel like slapping people. But you need to smile. You need to make a decision. I'm going to be happy today. I'm going to be joyful today. I'm going to enjoy my life today. I don't care what people may do. I don't care what the enemy is going to do. I don't care what I'm going through. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to enjoy my life. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You got to make melody in your heart to the Lord. You got to thank God all day long. Father, I praise you. I thank you. You will bring me restoration. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you're working this out for me. So the only way to endure is to take a drink of the Spirit every day and make a conscious decision, a quality decision throughout the day to be joyful. Rejoice throughout your day because you know God is faithful and he will grant you the victory. Go back to James. If you're going to get what you're believing for, you've got to keep your joy. Jerry Seville preached a message decades ago, and he says, if Satan can't steal your joy, he can't keep your stuff. If Satan can't steal your joy, he can't keep your stuff. And so I remember a story about that message. There was this couple that would believe in God to get the car worked on and to get a better car because the car needed help. And so they had been listening to that message all day long. They left it in their car. This is decades ago, so it was a cassette tape. And so they go into a meeting, and when they leave church, somebody had stolen their car. And so you got to think, that now they're already in financial challenge, but now they have no car because someone took it. They don't know who took it. And so they're still believing God. Some time goes by, and they get a phone call. It's the thief. And he says, I left your car at such and such location. But you won't recognize it because I had it repainted and I had it fixed. And it was repainted in the color that the couple liked. And then he ended the phone call saying, if Satan can't steal your joy, he can't keep your stuff. Click. What happened? He got in the car and that message was playing. 
and it kept playing. So he began to fix the car and paint it and left it. Talk about the wealth of the wicked being laid up for the just. What looked like should be horrible turned in their favor because they cheerfully endured the attack of the enemy and then the enemy had to fix their stuff. So Satan can't steal your joy. He can't keep your stuff. There will be restoration if you stick with it. Glory to God. If he can't steal your joy, can't keep your stuff. You got to be joyful. You got to take a drink. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation, lest you fall into judgment. It's like what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 34 through 37. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these comes of evil. That word evil means hurtful. So don't add all of those extra things to your communication, or you will cause trouble, and your words will be hurtful to you. Is any among you afflicted? Are you going through a situation, pressure brought by circumstance? Pray. Notice it says, let him pray. You're going through something, you need to pray. Is anybody married, anybody happy? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, not just think the elders should know. Notice you have a responsibility that if you're going through something, call the church. A lot of people say, well, yeah, I was going through something. And the church should have known because you never told nobody. You're going through something, call the church. Call other believers who can pray and stand with you and check on you so you don't isolate yourself. That's one of the reasons we have what we call our pastoral care major, that if at any time, even outside of church operating hours, you are in the hospital, you're hospitalized, or some loved one goes home, you call us and we're going to come meet you where you are. Wow, this is what we're here for. But we can't do it if you never call. So the Bible says, let him call. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Is anything special about the oil? No, the oil is a point of contact where you release your faith. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. The same power that heals is the same power that forgives. You saw it in Jesus' ministry. He would tell sick people, your sins are forgiven you. He would just forgive them. Notice the power of a believer. Notice, started with Jesus, then he told the disciples, you can do the same thing. And James is echoing it here. It never said they asked for forgiveness. Did it? It never said they repented. It says, but if you put your hands on them in faith, not only will they be healed, they'll be forgiven for any sin they did. Because you see in the ministry of Jesus that some people end up in these sick situations because of a sin that opened the door. But Jesus says, you go pray in faith, you close the door for them. Jesus said to the disciples, whatever sins you keep will be kept. Whatever you remit will be remitted. So you can go up to people and say biblically, I forgive you of everything you've ever done. 
well, how are you going to do that? Jesus said I could. Because it's true in another way. First John says that Jesus is the propitiation for our, all of our sins, and not just for our sins, but the sins for the entire world. Meaning he's the atoning sacrifice for every sin any believer and any sinner has ever done. There's only one sin that sends people to hell, and that's rejecting Jesus. So you can go to them and say, you know what? Everything you just did doesn't matter anymore. You're forgiven. Now you've got to make a decision about Jesus. It's the power of faith. It's how you get people healed. It's how you get people delivered. A lot of people are in mental instability because they believe they've done something God can't forgive. I remember reading studies from decades ago, and they talk about people who are housed in mental asylums. They said so many of them believe they committed the unpardonable sin, and it drove them insane. When they don't even know what the unpardonable sin is. There's only one unpardonable sin that's not believing in Jesus and dying. So you can't do that unless you reject Jesus. And they think they did something that God can't forgive them, and they literally go insane. And Satan entertains their insanity and locks their mind down when forgiveness is already offered. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Now, this doesn't mean walk around the church and tell everybody your problems, every mistake you did. That's not what he's saying. This is in the context of relationship. That you're supposed to build relationships with other believers who you trust. That you can tell them, hey, I made this mistake. Hey, this is what I'm going through. And they can pray for you and encourage you on this path of faith. This word healed also means made whole. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Notice he's still talking to people who have been going through some things. But he says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Amplified Version says, the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic. It can have tremendous power. Amplified Classic Edition says, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. The New Living Translation says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Persistent prayer produces power. Persistent prayer produces power. What is persistent prayer? People who do not give up in their praying. People who pray with cheerful endurance. That I might have been praying about this for a while. It hasn't changed yet, but I'm going to keep praying for that person. I'm going to keep praying about this situation. I'm going to keep thanking God about this situation. I'm going to keep praying to the Holy Ghost about this situation. If you persist, you'll get what you pray for because it's not God holding them back from you. There can be interference. You look at Daniel. He was a man of persistent and continued prayer that he prayed, and he didn't get an answer for 21 days. And when the angelic being showed up, he says, God heard you the first day you prayed, and I was sent with their answer, but it was held up because the demonic principalities, the princes over this area, withstood me three weeks. But then it says, Michael came and helped. So why did Michael come and help? Because Daniel stayed in prayer and his prayer released more power. But if you give up in prayer, you won't get what you're going for. 
Because if you're giving up on prayer, that means you have lost your joy. You've already lost your strength. Now you've lost your patience so you can get out of faith and stop praying. You can persist in prayer if you have joy because you know God is going to do exactly what he said. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. One of the things you look at the story of Elijah, when you look at the Old Testament, and it begins that Elijah goes up to the king and says, it's not going to rain unless I say so. Why could he say that? He had prayed about it. He saw where the nation was going. Him and God had a conversation. They both agreed, no rain. And he had the boldness because God sent him with it. It ain't going to rain unless I say something. And it didn't for three and a half years. But then he said that God is going to send rain on the earth. He says, go, Ahab, eat and drink, for I hear the sound of abundance of rain, and it's still dry. You look at 1 Kings 18, and it says he goes, runs to the mountain, puts his head between his knees, and he begins to pray. As we see in James, he's praying earnestly. He's persistent in prayer. Because he looks at the person who's assisting him and says, go look at the ocean, tell me you've seen anything. He says, nothing. He keeps praying. Go look again. Nothing. Go look again. Nothing. This happened seven times. People would have given up after the first few times. But he is persisting in prayer cheerfully enduring when it looks like nothing is going to happen. And on the seventh time, he says, you know, Elijah, don't get too excited. It's something. It's, it's not bigger than my hand. Don't know how this can affect the situation. He got up and says, there it is. And it begins to run, and the cloud fills with black, the sky fills with black clouds. And it begins to rain and continues to rain for days. How did that rain come? He prayed it in. You can't give up on three. You can't stop on six. Just like the children of Israel marching around Jericho. God says, march around seven times. They could have given up and stopped on six and not gotten the miracle. Elisha told Naaman, dip seven times. He could have given up on three. He could have stopped on six. But if you stop on six, you're going to miss your miracle. You have to persist. You have to continue. You have to persevere. You have to cheerfully endure because if you do, you'll get exactly what you're after. But if you let go of your joy, you'll lose your strength, then your patience will be next. And you won't get what you're believing for. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth. So if you see a person wandering off from the way of God, and one converts and one turns him back, let him know that he which converts a, the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Shall keep this person from experiencing death will keep them from making a whole bunch of mistakes and influencing others to make more mistakes and to sin more. Because if you turn one person, you're going to affect many lives. And this is the end of the book of James. So, before we go tonight, we're going to take a drink.
because y'all look like you need a drink. So stand to your feet. Say, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Now go ahead and do it. Hallelujah! Oh, we bless you, Lord. We give you glory, honor, and praise. We magnify. We rejoice in you because you are faithful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God, we praise you. Oh, we thank you. We rejoice no matter what we see, no matter what we feel. We thank you and we praise you because you are turning things around for us. You are turning situations around for us. Just like you turned the captivity of Job, we know you will turn it around for us. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Open your Bibles to Psalm 126. Psalm 126, quickly. Remember, he said, to sing or say a song. So if you want to drink, read a song. Psalm 126. You can put it on the screen. Let's read it together. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. He'll turn the situation for you. He said he turned the captivity of Zion. We were like those who dream and like we were walking in a dream world. Our mouths were filled with laughter. If God could do it for them, he can do it for you. But it's time to fill your mouth with laughter. So ha, ha, ha. Laugh by faith. We do everything by faith. So go ahead and laugh by faith right now. ha, 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 ha. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. 
<laughs> Some of y'all feel stuff lifting, after, lifting up off of you. <laughs> That's because you're activating your faith right now. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is our strength. <laughs> I remember one year when I was in Argentina preaching. We were there for two weeks. And the power of God was so strong. The joy of the Lord was everybody, people, everywhere. People were falling and rolling, drunk in the spirit, like on the day of Pentecost. And I knew it was of the Holy Ghost, and so I asked God that night, why is that so important? And he told me, when I move like that way through a church, I'm strengthening it. I'm strengthening them for the days ahead. So when they get filled with joy, they get some strength. So some of you feel like giving up. Some of you are tired. Some of you feel weak. So you need some strength. So laugh, rejoice, smile, act like you're happy. Because once you step out in faith, the power of God will meet you. And then it won't be laughing in faith anymore. It'll be laughing in the spirit. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Ha, 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 Oh, glory to God. Oh, glory to God. Oh, we bless your name, oh, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to Jesus. Hey, Leon, come here. Lead us in a laugh. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.